ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the main event. That's right, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the Best Seat in the House podcast. I'm your host, Rob Kramer, as always, alongside my co-host, Daniel Bobo Carlin. And uh, Dan, how you doing today, buddy? Not doing good. Not not happy with the outcome of the game, unfortunately. That was that was one of those games where whatever the outcome, one run was going to feel like a, an astronomical lead. The way both pitchers were pitching and it even looked like that game buck showalter the way he was managing that game bringing edwin diaz <coughs> in the in the eighth it looked like he was managing that game like he knew one run was going to be an astronomical lead if he had up one run and oh we were on the we were on the wrong end of that one yeah unfortunately today you know the mets uh they played a uh, great game, um, you know, from a defensive and pitching standpoint. I mean, Taiwan Walker just uh, continues over his last four or five starts has just been uh, really the best and most consistent pitcher in the Mets rotation during that time span. Uh, you know, Chris Bassett has gone back and forth and he's had a couple of good starts, a couple of bad starts. So hopefully he's starting to get on track too, but, Man, where would the Mets be without Taiwan Walker right now, right? I feel I feel like Taiwan Taiwan Walker has been the unsung uh, that that unsung pitcher that's probably kid that probably flies under the radar, but he's been he's been carrying he's been carrying the, the team so far. Yeah, I think a lot of people downplayed his importance in this rotation because of his poor second half last year, where he really just got lit up and after an all-star first half where he actually made the all-star team really came out in the second half. And it all started in that post all-star break series in Pittsburgh, where he got lit up in that first inning. And that was pretty much the way his second half went, but he's really come on strong here the first half again. And, you know, you got to give him credit for coming back to that. And, you know, he really had only thrown a very limited amount of innings due to COVID and, uh, injury the, the previous couple of years and everything. So there's a reason why he slowed down in the second half. And it may have been, as they were talking about during the game today, it may have been as much of a mental wall as it was a physical wall. I mean, right? Yep, I, be, I feel that affected him. And I feel like I've seen a trend throughout baseball, especially last year. It looked like a lot of pitchers, even in were affected by the stop and start situation they went through in 2020. If you remember last year, we just, uh, they had started spring training. Then all of a sudden, the COVID, everything went to, went to a screeching halt. And then all of a sudden, they, when they, they, they at one point somewhere in the summer, they announced we're going to start the season up again. Then they all of a sudden had to revamp everything. And uh, start up, start up again, getting ready for the season. And all of a sudden, in August, they had to be mid-season form, and it was a short season. I also think this season may have affected several players with the late start and the short in spring training. 
I totally agree. Yeah, you see, uh, you know, a, a couple, I would say a lot of the uh, injuries we're seeing, especially to the legs and uh, soft tissue injuries and stuff like that, definitely have a lot to do with the, uh, the lack of spring training they had this year, the lack of running. A lot of these guys didn't have their legs underneath them when uh, the season started. So I think you're starting to see a lot of the guys round into shape now. So it's, uh, it's looking pretty good for a lot of these guys. Obviously, you have guys like, uh, you know, Aaron Judge and, and uh, Pete Alonso, who came out of the shoot this year firing on all cylinders. So obviously, some guys had their legs under them, even Max Scherzer. But I think Scherzer's injury could even be because of the shortened spring training, too, where, you know, he might have thought that his body was in tip-top shape, but especially at 37 years old, you really have to be careful with that, right? Yeah, I feel, I feel, I feel they have to, they can't really play around with that. Anything that would mess around with their spring training routine, especially with pitchers, it seems like. I feel, I always felt like the reason why spring training sometimes is that long, I feel like it's a big factor, probably more the pitchers than it is the position players. They seem to take ready than the position players, if you ask me. Yeah, I totally agree, man. And, uh, you know, so we'll we'll get more into the Mets in a little bit, uh, but I do want to touch on a couple of things right off the top here, just to go around the league, if you will, kind of just to, all the sports stories around right now. Uh, the Stanley Cup was awarded uh, over this uh, past week, too. After our last show, the um, Tampa Bay Lightning couldn't keep it going as their uh, march for a third straight Stanley Cup fell a little bit short, and the Colorado Avalanche won their first uh, Stanley Cup championship in 21 years. What would you think of that series, Dan? That, that was like – that seemed to be like – it seemed to be it seemed to be a close series. I mean, uh, somehow this team that Tampa that was looking like they were they were looking like they were becoming all of a sudden the New England Patriots of hockey, a franchise that wasn't known for winning, and all of a sudden they become they were like they were becoming a powerhouse. Somehow, Colorado pulled off the upset and uh, they managed to win it and. To anyone watching here from Colorado, even some friends of mine, or maybe some uh, some people from Colorado who stumble upon this show, congratulations on your championship. Enjoy it. Try not to party too much, and hopefully, I, I don't know. I don't know Colorado's reputation for things getting a little out of hand with the championship celebrations, but <laughs> you, you you don't you don't want to just you probably don't want to destroy someone's car yeah very true and also the uh, stanley cup took a little bit of a beating during their celebration did you see that how they uh, dented the bottom of it i heard about that that almost reminds me of the legendary story that happened supposedly in 1994 i heard things got i mean the partying was oh i heard was off the wall when the rangers won the cup that I recall the cup was returned. They had to, the repairs were very extensive. Repairs had to be made with the thing I heard. And there was even, I even once saw, saw uh, Stefan Montaux said that he had to use a, he had to use something like a soldering iron or something to, uh, he had accidentally broke the Stanley Cup during that time. Oh my God. 
that uh that, that sounds about right with uh the uh, the amount of partying that went in when the rangers won that first cup again uh since 1940 back in 1994 so that's that definitely sounds about right especially with those guys on that team uh you know so yeah that was a uh, very close series with uh colorado and tampa bay um you know obviously it would have been great to see the uh, Rangers in that series instead of the, instead of the Lightning and have us be the team that ended their streak and their run and everything. But unfortunately, the Rangers ran out of uh, you know gas in the end there. Uh, but it was pretty cool seeing um, you know Igor pick up his Vezina, and um, you know I I do think too that I think uh, Gerard Gallant got the short end of the stick. I think he should have been uh, more in contention for the coach of the year award, right? Yeah, definitely. I feel like he should have been coach of the year. He got, he got this team that I don't think anyone expected to get as far as they did. And we got pretty far. I mean, just look at pictures and the dates that I had a thick beard and that'll answer your question right there. Well, it's true. You know, actually when the season started, I had a, a little hockey preview show on my uh, radio show on WGBB here on Long Island. And during that show, I picked the Rangers to make the playoffs as a wild card, which they ended up, uh, you know, finishing in the top three, thankfully. <laughs> but uh, I, I picked the Rangers to make the playoffs. And a lot of people were calling me a homer just for picking the Rangers to make the playoffs. Now, not only did the Rangers make the playoffs, they finished second in the division. They won 52 or 53 games, whichever it was. And they ended up going to game six, of the Eastern Conference final, taking off the Penguins and the Hurricanes in the way. So, you know, I uh, I really agree with you in the fact that I think that uh, Gallant should have been given much more consideration. Although you, you have to tip your cap to Daryl Sutter and what he did with the Calgary Flames, because uh, even though the Flames had a very good season, too, uh, I, I think the Rangers are just a little bit better, right? Yeah, I think they were definitely a lot better. And he probably is one of the biggest snubs since uh, I, can't re- I can't recall when, when the last time I saw a big snub like that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. It's unfortunate. But at least Igor locked down the Vezina. That, that would have been, uh, you know, a joke if he didn't win that. Uh, which were there, there were a couple of times with Lundqvist where I thought Lundqvist got squeezed out of it too, where they gave it to, um, you know, whether it be Carey Price or whoever of, the, of that era. So um, thankfully we got that, uh, you know, and hey, uh, there's a lot of bright things ahead for the Rangers right now. And hopefully in a couple of years, if not next year, uh, we'll be raising the Stanley Cup just like Colorado is right now. And congratulations to Kale McCarr and Nathan McKinnon and Naz Kadri. And, uh, you know, everybody on that team, especially the guys that have been there for, you know, decade and everything, uh, have been up through the ups and downs. I mean, you got to remember, Dan, this team was the worst team in hockey just, what, four or five years ago, right? Yeah, I remember that. They were like in the bottom and they went from uh, worst to first. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. They used all those draft picks, right? You know, they uh, McCarr fell in their laps. This is only his third year in the league. And, you know, hopefully it's a lot like the Rangers, too, where they they tore everything down, you know, maybe not as willingly as the Rangers, but they tore everything down. You know, the I don't think the Rangers were ever the actual worst team in the league at any point over the last couple of years. 
but they were really freaking bad <laughs> for those last couple of years under Elaine Vigneault and uh, the first year or two under uh, David Quinn. So, you know, things didn't exactly uh, come together quickly as this year, really. I mean, the Rangers ended a five-year playoff drought, essentially. So, uh, yeah, you know, very uh, good stuff. And congratulations to those guys. Right, Dan? Congratulations. Yeah. So, you know, and, uh, you know, with, with that, we'll uh, move on, too, because um, I also do want to touch on uh, a little bit later the uh, Yankees and a uh, very, very weird week for them, too, as they had a a series against Houston, actually, too. Houston's been playing a lot of New York. And, um, you know, they, they, they got the uh, Yankees over the weekend. And did you see, did you happen to catch that no-hitter? The Yankees got no-hit, a complete game. Christian Javier um, had an incredible game. Seven innings, 13 strikeouts, no hits, one walk. Um, and to hold that Yankee offense that long is just crazy to begin with. But uh, just really, really awesome stuff. What a crazy no hitter, right? Yeah, I was. Uh, I was actually on my way to uh, a Brooklyn Cyclones game, right? And at the point of the train, at it was like above ground, right? So I, I had, a, I was seeing some some Yankee fans on Twitter talking about, talk, talking about the game. I took a look at it via via one the via their their app, right? Via one of the networks apps, I think the Yes app, and there were no hits, and that surprised me. That team got a no hitter, but it doesn't surprise me that even the furthest that Houston, out of all things, would probably be one of the teams that don't hit the Yankees. That. Houston looks like one of the ones that has good pitching. Going to have good. Yeah, I agree, man. Houston is a hell of a team. They got a hell of a rotation, as the Mets saw up close over the last two days. Houston, I mean, how many times do you have a team have their starting pitcher go eight shutout innings back-to-back days against the team? And not to mention a team like the Mets, who were one of the best offensive teams in baseball. But you know what? As uh, we – we move on here. We'll really get into the Mets right now. Um, as when you really think about it, the the Mets really have been slipping over the last week. I mean, if you go back to um, the last three games, the Mets are two for 25 with runners in scoring position. Um, that That's the last game that they lost in the walk-off homer on Sunday against the Marlins, which was just a heartbreaker. And then the two-game sweep again against the uh, the Houston Astros. Two for 25. Um, now, if you want to stretch that out even longer, over the last seven games, going back to the uh, the three they had against the Marlins, the two against – and the uh, four against Houston, the two this week and the two last week, the Mets are six for their last 49 with runs in scoring position for a 122 batting average. This is a team that before this stretch started was the number one team in baseball with runs in scoring position, hitting 289. Even at one point, you know, a week or two ago, it was 291 to lead the league. And this stretch has dropped them down to 275 right now 
The uh, Cincinnati Reds lead the league now with a 282 runners in scoring position batting average. So just really uh, bad numbers over the last couple of weeks for the Mets. Uh, what do you think, Dan? You think this is uh, the beginning of a trend, or you think it's just a blip on the radar? So far, I, I'm, I'm thinking it's just a blip on the radar. They gotta, they they got they gotta bounce off, and I feel they need to get a get a big win before it gets out of hand. I feel they they snap the streak. They'll be they'll be good. They you gotta. I also feel that they need to probably remain in first place. Yeah. Here during the second half when they were playing catch up, that's when. Oh, that's a. That seems to always be be the case with us when it gets a bit dicey, whenever we try to play catch up. You're right, and the Mets uh, are really on the brink right now. I mean, today is their third straight loss. It's the first time this season that they've lost three straight games. Their lead at this exact moment at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night, June 29th, the Mets have a three-and-a-half game lead in the division. So uh, the Mets are really big Philadelphia Phillies fans tonight because if the Phillies win, then the Braves drop back to being four games out. But if the Phillies lose and the Braves beat them tonight, for the second straight night, then Atlanta will climb to within three games of first place, which the Mets just cannot have. Uh, this it's a and and look, I understand that during this run, they lost James McCann. They have not had Degrom all year. They lost um, you know McNeil for a week before this. They lost Max Scherzer for the last over a month now, and uh, Scherzer is working his way back. He's got that rehab game tonight now in Binghamton. Uh, they're going to hope to get him up to, you know, maybe five innings, 75, 80 pitches, and then he'll be ready to go next time, uh, which I, I'm glad they gave him that extra day. Right, Danny? You glad they gave him the extra day? I felt Buck made the right decision. I know I know. we all remember Max Scherzer making the quote, I don't want to be a rumble pony when he said that, but – at the same time, Buck may have made the right decision. We didn't want to rush him back. We may have, we may come back a little later and avoid being out for the season a lot later. I agree. And you know what, though, too? Even though the rotation, uh, I mean, look, everybody saw the thing before Scherzer went down. The Mets team ERA was like, Two six seven, right around there. Two seven, right around there. Uh, since then, it's been over five. I think it was five two two since Scherzer went down. So look, I understand that that's a combination too of James McCann being down and Scherzer not being in there, and no Degrom. But you know what? The fact of the matter is that Carlos Carrasco has had two crap starts over the last week. That's that's a fact. But other than that, the Met pitching has been pretty decent, at least over the last week. They, they haven't been getting blown out except for those Carlos Carrasco starts. Um, you know, but the other thing is that their, their pitching wasn't the problem today. You know, the, the, their inability to get a big hit was the problem. Their inability to get a big hit on Sunday when they had to lead the entire game and then blew it right at the end. You know, same thing with the game where they lost 5-3 in, uh, in Houston last week. Uh, 
Sure, they got blown out the night before, but they had a chance to win that second game. But they just couldn't come through with a big hit when it mattered. Dan, what? You know, we're about to enter July now. Our our next show will be after the Fourth of July. Will be a week into July. Um, so trade season and the trade rumors are really going to start heating up. I mean, obviously we got Degrom and Scherzer coming back. I still hear people pushing for the Mets pitch, picking up another starting pitcher. But, I mean, obviously the Mets, in my opinion, really desperately need to bring in a big-time lefty in their bullpen. And uh, not only that, I think they should start looking at bringing in a bat now too, uh, a power bat to complement and protect Pete Alonso. Uh, what do you think about that? They need to make the move. They need to get the. They need to get another bat, and hopefully, that Steve Cohen just said recently that he'll spend whatever it takes for his team to win come trading deadline. He did say that. He said that uh, he will take. He will do whatever it takes. But you know, the other question I have too is, um, I wonder if the Mets are going to have the prospects that they're willing to give up to get, uh, you know, a big-time bat to stick in the middle of this lineup. You know, maybe a, a guy that could be a, a full-time DH. You know, one thing that's interesting to me is uh, would you have any interest in a guy like Nelson Cruz from uh, Washington? Yeah. Nelson Cruz, maybe I'd be open to the Mets getting if they didn't have to give up much. Yeah, because – that, that, that's what I'm thinking. It would come relatively cheap for prospects-wise. Yeah, exactly. If it, if it wasn't for much, because he is – because he pretty much he, – he's, he's pretty much on the last year of his contract. Actually, he's pretty much, if I'm correct, on the last year of his career. He's probably close to it. I mean, he's 41, 42 years old. So, but he's still got that pop. And you know what, though? Even though if, if it were me – I don't know if I would have Nelson Cruz as the everyday DH. Still, that would be a pretty big-time power bat to have not only coming off the bench, but the ability to stick him in a game every once in a while, you know? Yeah, exactly. Another interesting thing we might have to look up, look for in the second half is that I don't know if you've been seeing uh, Alvarez, or, or catching prospect in A, but the way he's hitting – it looks like he's trying to make a statement. Oh, but yeah. I totally agree. Because the way it's going to, it's going to force a hand with the, with ownership and uh, the GM on when he gets called up. And we could, it's, I think it's possible we could see him maybe get called up, maybe be, maybe limited as a catcher for this year, but probably. DHing a lot. Oh yeah, no doubt about it, man. I mean, when uh, you know that is one thing that I've heard people bring up that you know maybe even if you don't think his skills are major league ready behind the plate, you know if you believe that his bat can make it in the big leagues, which hey, you know what, the way that a lot of people and uh, talent evaluators in baseball talk about Double A is that double A is really the proving ground um, where, you know, if, if a kid can swing it in double A, uh, they're probably going to be able to do it at triple A and then the major league level too. 
that's where you know you separate the men from the boys type deal where um and you see the domination that he's put on that's one thing that i was worried about when he first got promoted to double a last year it took him a little while to to get the league and he finally got it and boy he is tearing it up right now he started off the year tearing it up too but then he went into about a two or three week you know spell in uh, may where he really wasn't hitting too much but boy all of june and uh, the end of May and everything, this kid has really picked it back up. And it's really going to be cool to see him up close when he eventually does make his Mets debut, right? Exactly. And the, the amazing is, this is another one of the players I've gotten to see when he was in the minors. And I have his autograph on a, on a, on a Brooklyn Cyclones program. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, he's uh, one of those guys, man, that just came through the Mets minor league system, you know? Yep, exactly. I but and because we have uh, one of one affiliates out here in the area, I'm lucky enough to have seen him seen him play. And the guy looked he just looked like he could hit back even back then. Oh yeah. Yeah, you could tell. And the kid's only twenty years old, so he's only gonna get better. And uh, it's only going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be a lot of fun watching him progress as a uh, professional baseball player and eventually a major league baseball player. Um, so, yeah, we got we, we got that to look out for. Um, you know, there's there's definitely going to be some moves in the coming weeks for the Mets. Um, you know, no doubt about that as uh, a, an interesting thing now coming up for them is that they have the Texas Rangers. This weekend, it's been a couple of years since we've seen the Mets play the Texas Rangers. Uh, what are you looking for when they play Texas, Dan? I mean, you know, we got a couple of big names on here with uh, Semyon and uh, and Corey Seager joining this team. Uh, is there anything specific that uh, y- y- you have your eye on about the Texas Rangers? Probably more they're they're hitting more than they're pitching. So they got they got they got they got to be able to not. This this series they give up many runs against these guys, even though Texas looks like right now they're more of a middle of the road team. Probably shouldn't be taken lightly. Yeah, and you have to remember too the Mets. You know, on on Friday they're they're getting um, this kid Otto, who is not that great. It's, it's uh, he's got an ERA over five. He's four and three, and uh, he's going against Chris Bassett, which is definitely in the favor of the Mets. But on Saturday, the uh, 4 o'clock game the Mets get against the Rangers, uh, they are facing their best pitcher, who has the exact same ERA that Verlander had coming into today, a 2-2-2 ERA. So he's top three or four in the league in ERA over there. And then after that, the Sunday uh, day game, getaway day for the Mets, as they're going to be traveling to Cincinnati after the game, uh, they get John Gray, who was, uh, you know, a big name that they signed from uh, Colorado after the uh, uh, the lockout ended and everything. So John Gray going to, to Texas, many people didn't really think about it, but he's actually had a pretty good year for them. And, I mean, if you team up him and Martin Perez, who is also back in Texas after a couple of years over in Boston, and he looks he looks great, so... The Mets are actually catching two of uh, 
the more talented and better producing um, Texas pitchers this weekend. So the, the Mets got to do something. Their offense has to wake up. And uh, I don't know if what Eric Chavez, you know, what Eric Chavez wants to do as the Mets um, new hitting coach and hitting guru they got back there, but uh, they, they got to wake these guys up. Exactly. They need to offer to brew that rum and wake up bats. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, maybe they got to uh, get a, 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 a visit from the imaginary hitting coach they had last year. What was his name again? Donnie something. Donnie Stevenson, right? Wasn't that it? That's the guy. <laughs> offer, offer Jabu some rum for the Mets who bats. Definitely going to need that. The Mets definitely could uh, offer Jabu some rum, and uh, maybe that'll wake them up because, uh, you know, it's it's been brutal over the last week watching these guys go at it. Um, and and you, you knew they weren't going to hit at a 290 clip all year in, in the clutch situation because that's just unrealistic. You know, the pitchers are going to get the better of you every once in a while. And, uh, you know, the Mets really just have to keep going back to, to what they're doing. Get, keep that average steady. Don't let this runners in scoring position average start dropping into the 260s. Keep it up here. You know, one of the biggest guys they've gotten is uh, Jeff McNeil, uh, you know, getting him back the, the last couple of days has been big because um, he's, he's one of their better clutch hitters this year, along with Pete Alonso, who was hitting over 350, but his clutch numbers have dropped into about the two, the, the, the 330s over the last couple of games as well. So, um, you know, let's just keep our fingers crossed in the Mets. And, uh, you know, one big thing, and this is a guy too that I loved this signing at the time, but offensively, boy, has he been a disappointment. Um, aside from his cycle in San Diego, was uh, Ed, Eduardo Escobar right? What a disappointment offensively so far. So far, it's been uh, it's been like it's been it's been disappointed, and I'm hoping he lives up to what he said. What happened? Yeah, you know he he said what a couple weeks ago too that he he's hoping that he can start giving the fans something to cheer about, which, you know, it's, it's good to hear that. And it's good to hit him to acknowledge too, that uh, he hasn't been playing up to par so far, but uh, man, if they could just get Eduardo Escobar going, which I really, I thought he was going to be great for them. I thought the switch hitter, he could protect Pete Alonso. He could hit for power. This is a guy who hit 35 home runs and drove in over a hundred runs a couple of years ago. So, uh, you know, I thought, that he could bring that kind of numbers and production here, but we just haven't seen it yet, man. Uh, and we really need to see the best of Eduardo Escobar, uh, at least over the, you know, a, a short stretch, give us something. <laughs> exactly. The at least a hot streak going on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, boy, we, we need something because the Mets definitely need a spark plug right now. All right. Now that we got our Mets talk out of the way, Oh, we got a lot of other stuff to get into. And, you know, I was going to jump into the Yankees, but uh, me and you started touching on the uh, Knicks there for a second. So let's uh, let's talk some Knicks right now as, um, you know, also two just going down uh, as we're recording this. Um, Woj from ESPN and uh, all his NBA breaking news and everything just reported that the Knicks um, lost out 
on uh, Dewante Murray, who uh, was a, a backcourt guy from the um, uh, uh, the Dallas, where is he? The uh, Dallas Mavericks, I believe. Oh no, no, the San Antonio Spurs, and uh, very good player who apparently the Knicks just got outbid by the Atlanta Hawks. Um, disappointing that they couldn't come up with this. Uh, they also had, uh, you know, a, a deal go down the other day where they acquired Dallas's Jalen Brunson. So they're starting to retool things after their crazy draft night, which we'll discuss in a minute. But, Dan, what do you think the Knicks are doing right now? Knicks, just our history with our screwing up offseason always scratching my head they uh well for one thing we got let's go back to that off season where we thought we were getting lebron james who was going to bring over two other guys to form a super team he ended up remember we were, he was all hyping up that that whole espn special oh yeah remember we all on tv to watch it we're all excited i remember i remember seeing one person on social media, who's a Knicks fan? He went as far as bought, have getting custom done orange and blue LeBrons <laughs> colors in anticipating that on <laughs> Le- LeBron James. Well, that one backfired. We're all watching that special, turning on a TV. We're all anticipating it, and. The moments he said he's signing with Miami and he's bringing on, uh, uh, I think it was Dwayne Reed and Chris Bosch. You would not believe the curses I said. I was yelling out at the TV. I think, <laughs> seven deadly words. I may have found a way to yell out all seven deadly words in one set setting. How <laughs> uh. was. Then remember the off year, we were tanking really bad. Remember that off season, 2019. We're turning on a TV. We're watching the draft lottery. I remember it was after an Eastside Dave show. I was at John Sullivan's, and I'm sitting there. And Dave may have saw me react to it, and a couple of other people. Big A had never seen me curse and be outraged like that. We did not get the number one draft pick. Then there's the other offseason. We were several big free agents, only to find all those free agents turned the Knicks down and went to the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving specifically, which it looks like the Knicks might have dodged a bullet there too, buddy, because... The uh, Nets right now are in a complete state of disarray. Uh, they've granted Kyrie Irving, uh, you know, the ability to go seek a trade. Um, it just really, really weird stuff. And Kevin Durant, you know, it's still not even a hundred percent certain that he's going to be back, especially if Kyrie goes. So the Nets definitely have their issues. But you know, back to the Knicks. When when we look at this draft night, so they were supposed to draft eleven. And they traded down. They got the 13th pick and some extras. They traded the 13th pick and Kemba Walker and, you know, shed some cap space, which was okay. I, I understand that they want to open up the cap. They pick up Jalen Brunson. They, they try to pull off this most recent trade today. Um, you got to hope that there's a guy like Donovan Mitchell 
just waiting to come in here sometime because it looks like he's getting sick and tired of, of what's going on down there in uh, Phoenix where he is right now. And, um, you know, maybe he's going to be coming to uh, New York soon. What do you think about that, Dan? I have a feeling, too. I feel like the buildup for him potentially coming to the Knicks is literally written on a wall. He keeps hanging out in New York a lot during the offseason. He's been spending a lot of time in New York. And he's even been, and I see a lot of people, he seems to show up at a lot of Met games a lot. He's a big Mets fan. His dad is a big Mets guy, a big Mets executive. At least at some point he was. I don't know if he still is working with them, but they they have a lot of ties to the area. And I think Donovan Mitchell kind of seems to be intrigued by the idea of him. uh, He kind of wants to be near where his, uh, where his, uh, where his parents live. Yeah. Possibility. We could be seeing him uh, in a, in a Knicks uniform. And I would be jumping. No, it, It'd be the complete opposite of all those what I just told you about it from our past. Yeah, he is the type of guy the Knicks need. Right? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's just the star power and the production that the Knicks need right now. If you plug him into this, uh, you know, in, into this team right now and um, – you know, you, you surround him with guys like R.J. Barrett, who's coming into his prime, and uh, quickly, and, uh, you know, Mitchell Robinson, who's been a great defensive presence. And then hopefully, maybe in a Donovan Mitchell trade, you could jettison, um, you know, um, what's, what's his name? Uh, who is the, uh, the big guy for the Knicks this year? What the hell is his name again? I can't think of it. Um, I forget the guy's name. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you were obviously such a big basketball fan. <laughs> oh, Julius Randle. Julius. Yeah, Julius. yeah I, that's why I just couldn't think of it. But, uh, you know. Like, we got we got so – it's like we were – looked like we were tanking so bad during the last couple of months of the season that it looked like it wasn't going to be – we're going to make it. Yeah, that was – from January on, watching this Knicks team was rough. You just got the feeling that, um, you know, Julius Randle, for whatever reason, was disgruntled. What? Because the fans booed him? Sorry, buddy. That's what happens in New York. When you don't play up to the level that we expect you to play and it's costing the team games, you're going to get booed. That's why I I did not think that it was a right move for the Knicks to extend Julius Randle. You know, sure, do I think that he deserved to be rewarded for the fantastic season he had the prior year, of course he deserved it, but he did not deserve a big time extension. Uh, I just knew it was trouble. The, the second they did it, it was almost like a, um, you know, like a harbinger of things to come. You, you, you just knew that Julius Randle was gonna, you know, well, you know, whatever, just have a, a really crappy season. And that's exactly what he did. He ended up making his numbers look decent at the end, but uh, if you watched this team this year, man, they were just nice where Julius Randle was just not even existent on the court for the Knicks, so um, I really hope they find a way to get rid of him, and I really hope they find a way to bring in Donovan Mitchell, because uh, 
I think that would be a real fun to team, uh, you know, a real fun team to watch next year. Especially too, since they said that uh, Derek Rose is coming back, and he's a fun guy. Um, especially with, with with Thibodeau as his coach, and I'm glad the Knicks didn't do anything stupid like fire Tom Thibodeau this offseason, right, Dan? Exactly, and I feel so many people around the NBA. I think a lot of networks, maybe even the NBA, is eager for this to finally see the Knicks being contenders again. Oh yeah, They're no doubt about it. Just drives up the 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 viewer the viewership. Yeah. I absolutely agree. You know, you think that the NBA would have been happy to see a uh, New York team in the final four in the, you know, in the going to the conference finals this year, no doubt about it. That, you know, sure. I'm glad that I'm, I'm, I'm sure they love, you know, uh, teams like Milwaukee and uh, that stuff. Although I'm sure they were happy Boston was involved too, because uh, you know, Boston is a big city, but man, if you still have, uh, uh, the Knicks involved like that, even the appeal of Boston just did it, it, it just loses compared to New York and the volume of eyes and, and uh, stories and people talking about it that a New York team, specifically the Knicks, because look, we saw the Nets go on their fucking run the last year or two. And what did it really matter in the end? I feel like people forget the Knicks, that the Nets even had a run with Durant and Kyrie, right? Yeah, I think I don't even think there was really ever really a lot of interest even for the Nets to even move to Brooklyn. I just think it felt like something that ownership was pushing, and just some people that might have been some 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 elected officials that thought there was going to be a lot of money from this. But yeah, I saw a big push for another team in New York. I will I, say this though, until the day I die. James Dolan is the worst owner in sports because he allowed the Nets to move into the city. The fact that that was even allowed uh, and that they were able to go into Brooklyn, which is Knicks country. The fact that the Nets were allowed to move into Brooklyn, which the Knicks had to approve, by the way, is just ridiculous. I cannot believe that this guy allowed that to happen. It's it's re- the Nets should still be in Jersey, or they if they wanted to come back to New York, they should be out on Long Island. They should not be in Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then of course, there's a point, and of course, there's plenty of other we can we can say that Dolan screwed up because there seems to be a lot of players that we seem to have a, a lack of wa- wanting free agents to come here because of Dolan. Oh yeah. I, I think that's lesser now because I think right now, even though they had the rough year this year, I think Leon Rose has kind of righted the ship a little bit. I think he's given a lot of credibility to this team uh, for whatever reason. I think he's widely respected. I, I remember when the Nets hi- when the, the, the Knicks hired him, uh, they actually quoted Donovan Mitchell as saying, um, you know, Leon Rose being his former agent, saying how much he loves Leon and, I think his exact quote was that I love Leon to death, uh, you know, all that stuff. So I, I, I definitely think um, Leon Rose has the Knicks presented. He's kind of like the firewall between the Knicks, uh, the NBA, and James Dolan. So I think uh, 
Leon is doing a good job in that respect. But right now we just got to see right now, the Knicks are a work in progress. We got to see what direction uh, Leon Rose is taking the next, uh, the Knicks in this off season. We've seen some will and dealing go on yet. Uh, you know, free agency should be starting shortly. Um, you know, I don't know how flexible the, the Knicks can be in that, especially if they're trying to keep space open for a potential trade for a big salary guy like Mitchell. But um, I don't know. I'm, I'm optimistic right now, Dan. What what do you think? Are, are you expecting th- this to be one of those head scratcher summers where we're kind of wondering what is going on? Or do you think that things are going to just fall in place? Well, I'm hopefully right now that things are going to fall in place. And I feel if we made that that move, we ended up with Donovan Mitchell, it could be leading us on that right path to potentially us becoming a contender. If not this year, the following year, we could be seeing one of those moves that's going to affect the next couple of seasons. Very true. Very true. And, and the East is wide open. You know, we don't have any LeBron Cavaliers team holding us down or, or LeBron Miami Heat team holding us down anymore. The East is wide open. That's why we saw the, uh, you know, um, the uh, Celtics go on a run this year. Uh, the, the Nets, you know, they, they were okay. Um, but there's a lot of turmoil going on there right now. And while people, including myself, expected the Nets to get a grasp on the East and be that beast in the East for a couple of years, at least they never did it. They got knocked off by Milwaukee and they got knocked off again this year by Boston. And I'm not expecting uh, to, to see a Nets revival at any point in the next, uh, in the next little while, at least Uh, depending what Durant does, depending what Kyrie does. So, but it looks like, that team is on the outs right now. And especially when Harden forced his way out of there, I think that was the beginning of the end of the Nets, right, Dan? Yeah, that looked like the beginning of the end. It looked like they're, uh, what they expected was going to be a dynasty is falling short of it. Big yeah. time. Yeah, I think you're right about that. And, uh, you know, with that, I like the uh, the little basketball talk we got in there right now. But um, we're, we're talking about the uh, – we're going to shift over to the Yankees here. Now, as, as we're finishing up now, too, we'll, we'll touch on the Yankees for a few minutes. Um, you know, crazy no-hitter over the weekend that we just discussed um, a little earlier. Uh, very interesting um, <laughs> week the Yankees have had. Uh, they had two walk-off wins sandwiched around that, uh, that no-hitter last Saturday. Uh, then they, they smacked the A's around this week. They were down 3 nothing today. But that was erased immediately by um, Giancarlo Stanton as he crushed a three-run shot. Uh, they got the walk-off home run from Judge the other day. Judge hit his 29th today as just really incredible. Uh, luckily for the Yankees, too, they, they settled with Aaron Judge finally for their arbitration contract for this year. He's getting paid $19 million. The Yankees offered 17 Judge wanted 21 They settled right in the middle. Um, boy, Dan, I mean, with the incredible season that Judge has had and under the radar, too, the great year that Giancarlo Stanton has had. Um, A couple of things. For one, I think Giancarlo Stanton has probably 
finally got in the hang of the high expectations that I feel playing for either one of the two New York teams, the high expectations, he's finally adjusted to it because they feel he may have not been kind of in his comfort zone after being in Miami, a team that even though I've seen, well, I have a, I have a cousin born in South Florida that's a Marlins fan, so they're, they, I made the joke, remember, like the M&M's commercial with Santa? They do exist. Yeah. I said that to my cousin once when I was visiting Florida, when I noticed he was wearing a Marlins jersey. I, I knew he was a Marlins fan, but seeing him wear the jersey, I, so I jokingly said, they do exist. <laughs> exactly what, he, what I was talking about, but obviously that stadium usually you don't you hardly find anybody there and your John Carlos Stanton was playing well with very low expectations at that time so now all of a sudden he's on the Yankees I mean Yankees it's always high expectations looks like it may have taken him a while to kind of adjust to it now he looks like he's finally made that quick turnaround and uh He's adjusted, and he's having his, what I have to say, arguably his best season as a Yankee. Yeah, it's definitely right up there. I mean, that first year he had as a Yankee hit 38 home runs, and it was a pretty good year. But I think you're right, man. I think this looks like his best all-around year at the Yankees now. He um, he looks comfortable. He looks, uh, you know, in his own skin. Um, it looks to me like uh, the Yankees are finally getting the best of him. And, um, you know, one thing, too, with, with Giancarlo is I think he's healthy now, too, which is a big thing. Over the last couple of years, his first year, his first year or two at the Yankees, 18, uh, you know, he, he was very healthy. That's why he had the decent numbers that year. But the couple of years after that, 19, 20, you know, really struggled with injuries and couldn't stay on the field. And, um, you know, even 21 uh, was back and forth with the DL this year. He's been healthy for the most of the season. Um, he's been putting up big numbers. He's been hitting home runs in big spots. Like even, you know, we saw him hit the, th- the big three-run home run today. He erased a three-run deficit last week against Houston as well, the same way, opposite field, three-run shot. Um, so, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think uh, he's finally comfortable as a Yankee, and he's healthy. That, that, that's a big bet. Um, but having – He's having a monster season. I think of him correct. He's a free agent. He's going to be the the money. Whatever he's going to get in free agency is going to be astronomical. Oh, he's not a free agent. He's locked up for quite a few more years. The Yankees. You remember he signed that 13-year deal with the uh, Marlins before he got traded to the Yankees. So I think he still at least has six or seven years left on that deal. Talking about it, Judge. Oh, Judge, yes. Yeah. Yeah, Judge is definitely a free agent. Yeah, that that guy, he's playing astronomically. He's going to be – I mean, he, he looks like one of those seasons that each time he puts up those numbers, you might, there might as well be a cha-ching sound effect. Yeah, I mean, and he is – he's also, uh, you know, on pace at 60 home runs this year. You know, he turned down – what a 215 or so million dollar contract for the Yankees where they were going to pay him uh, an average of 30 million a year. He's looking closer for 35 to 40 
Do you think that he breaks a $300 million contract? I'm not sure he's going to break that that money because I, I think that the highest owner is going to go that far, but he's getting high contract. Like, because of the circumstances now, I mean, before it looked like we only had one owner that was willing in the past, you know, the Steinbrunners that was willing to spend all that money. We have an owner like Steve Cohen now. It could he could, it could be a highly contested. It's not a lot that he's going to be returned that'll return to the Yankees. Let's put it this way. No, I agree with you. It's it's definitely not a lock that he goes back to the Yankees. But I think, you know, the most likely thing to happen is that he's gonna um, he, he's gonna remain a Yankee. I think whatever um, deal that he's offered from whether it be the Mets or the Red Sox or San Francisco, the Giants, whoever offers him the biggest contract when he does become a free agent, I think the Yankees are going to match it, if not go over it and keep him back because, boy, it would just be terrible if the Yankees um, lost Aaron Judge in any way, especially after the year he's having. And I mean, much like Stanton, like me and you just talked about, the one thing that you could point to to Aaron Judge in his career is his inability to stay healthy. And you could be like, well, I don't know if I want to pay him because of that. But he has just completely shut that up as he has stayed 100% healthy this year. He's been the the best player in the league all year um, since game one. So you just got to tip your cap to Judge. Yeah, their biggest competition is going to be probably in the postseason once they face a team that has top pitching. Well, I mean, hey, look, we, we, we have to give them credit because they did face top pitching this weekend in Houston, and they took two out of three from them. And sure, they got no hit in that middle game, but those other two games they, they did win. So we got to give the Yankees credit where credit's due because, look, we went 0-4 against Houston. We could not touch them. And the Mets had one of the best offenses in baseball coming into these series. And instead, we went 0-4, and the Yankees took two out of three. Now, the big test for the Yankees is going to be this weekend when they go to Houston. Because uh, luckily for them, too, the Yankees don't have to face Verlander, which I don't know why uh, Dusty decided to flip the rotation where the Mets got stuck facing Verlander. If if you're the Astros manager, wouldn't you rather Verlander face the Yankees than the Mets? Exactly. I would have rather have saved Verlander for probably one of be going to be the toughest opponent. Yeah, and and an, uh, an American League rival who they've been going back and forth with for the last five, six, seven years. If you want to go all the way back to 2015, uh, when the, those teams played in the wild card game, so. Yeah, just uh, very surprising that Dusty went that route because I knew the Mets were getting uh, uh, Framber Valdez yesterday who dominated the Mets for eight innings, eight shutout innings, and just like the same thing that Verlander did today and the Mets ended up uh, losing this game 2 nothing. A very, very um, terrible <laughs> run of offense and very great pitching they've come against. Like so early in a game, the deficit we were behind that. I even sarcastically said, and I would have lived up to 
just to let you know, one of my Twitter, one of my Twitter followers, I would have left left lived up to what I said to that Twitter follower that I said, yeah, if the Mets overcome this deficit. I will video myself singing the the Broadway show tune of your choosing. <laughs> yeah. that, that would have been great. <laughs> may have been a little disappointed that the Mets didn't overcome the deficit. That may have wanted to see me. Well, if, if you can call it singing, and since I'm not really a really a bro, <laughs> you, you could have been like that clip that Eastside Dave always shows of his mom singing those show tunes. Well, I, I wasn't going to do that. I was going to legitimately, if I said I was going to legitimately do that, I'm going to legit, I would legitimately end up but- probably butchering that song. Well, I'm here to say that if the Mets make the playoffs, me, and you want to be in on this, we'll both sing that song. We'll both video us singing that very song. <laughs> what, there's no business like show business? Oh, that I'll, I'll I'll send I'll send you I'll send you the the tweet, the song that Twitter follower picked. Okay, I, I'm down, Dan. I'm I'm in. If the Mets make the playoffs, we're in. All right, all right. We we will we will sing that. We, we will post a video of us singing that song. <laughs> exactly. You heard it here first on Best Seat in the House podcast. That if the Mets make the playoffs, me and Dan will be singing that show tune one way or another. And, um, you know, as a matter of fact, with that, Dan, I think we're just about running out of time here. Um, you know, before we get out of here, give yourself a couple of plugs. Sure, you could Bobo103NYC on Twitter, Bobo718DK on Instagram, and Daniel Curlin on YouTube. That's right. You can subscribe and follow Dan on there. And if you want to check a check me out you can look at my twitter at kramer ny or you can check out our podcast uh twitter account at bsith underscore podcast also check out best seat in the house podcast on instagram uh, and don't forget to uh, like and subscribe all of our videos on uh, youtube as well so uh once again thanks everybody for tuning in and checking out another episode of uh, best seat in the house here uh, I'm Rob Kramer, alongside my co-host Daniel Bobo Carlin, saying goodbye to everybody. Thank you for tuning in, and have a great weekend. And the 4th of July, we'll catch you next week on Best Seat in the House podcast. <laughs>